She was fierce, but also firm and taught as well. And for me, again, a role model, because I do think as a woman in medicine, sometimes you do have to be slightly on the strong side to be able to kind of make your way. To see that so early on in my career, looking back now, I can appreciate them. I probably didn't appreciate how hard they'd worked at the time, but looking back, I can definitely see that and appreciate them more. Hello, I'm Professor Patrick Murray, and I'm delighted to host this second series of the UCD School of Medicine podcast series, MGA Clinical Influencers. No doubt lots of our listeners are familiar with the MGA, or Medical Graduates Association. For those of you who aren't, the MGA plays a vital role in keeping you, our School of Medicine graduates, in touch with fellow alumni across Ireland and around the world. The MGA is your organization, offering you a lifelong partnership with the UCD School of Medicine. During this podcast series, graduates will bring us on a trip down memory lane, describing their time in UCD, and on some occasions in other schools of medicine, along with their experiences as junior doctors. They will discuss their specialty areas, highlighting some of the challenges they've encountered during their careers, and how they shared their expertise and helped coach others. On a personal level, they'll discuss how they manage a decent work-life balance, and will share recommendations for books, music, holidays, and other aspects of their lives. Our interviewees have compelling stories to share that will spark your curiosity about life and the clinical specialty they've chosen. I'm Pat Murray, Professor of Clinical Pharmacology at UCD and a consultant physician at the Mater Misericordia University Hospital in Dublin. I'm a UCD School of Medicine graduate from 1988. Following internship at the Mater Hospital, I completed a residency in internal medicine in Minneapolis, then moved to Chicago, where I underwent fellowships in nephrology, critical care medicine, and clinical pharmacology at the University of Chicago Hospitals. Following my training, I was a faculty member at the University of Chicago until 2008 when I returned to Ireland to work in UCD and at the Matter Hospital. In 2011, I was appointed Associate Dean for International Affairs of the UCD School of Medicine, and I subsequently served as Dean and Head of the School of Medicine from December 2012 to June 2018. I'm currently Director of the UCD Clinical Research Centre. Today in our MGA podcast, I'm very pleased to be in conversation with Professor Yvonne Galise who studied medicine in UCD, graduating with honours in 1993. Professor Galise continued her training as a junior doctor in Dublin and London, where she developed an interest in HIV medicine. She completed her specialist registrar training at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. In 2005, she was appointed a consultant in HIV medicine in Brighton, where she continues to work as an honorary clinical professor and consultant in HIV medicine and sexual health at the Brighton and Sussex Medical School and University Hospital Sussex NHS Foundation Trust. She's a national and international leader in HIV research and practice, publishes regularly in peer-reviewed journals, and had the honour of being elected chair of the British HIV Association in 2022. She specialises in HIV and women, and is immediate past chair of the British HIV Association Pregnancy Guidelines. She's the chair of WAVE, a subcommittee of the European AIDS Clinical Society, and the chair of SWIFT, which promotes research in women living with HIV. She also specialised in HIV and bone disease, HIV and hepatitis co-infection, and in liver dysfunction. Welcome, Yvonne. Uh, really looking forward to speaking with you today. We're going to start off really simply. When did you decide to become a doctor and how did that come about? I can actually remember standing at the teacher's desk in sixth class. And I was actually quite young for sixth class. I was 11. I remember she asked me what I wanted to do. And it was at that point I thought I would do medicine. So my father died when I was very young and I knew that whatever I had to do, I was going to have to stand on my own two feet. So I was going to have to choose a career. So even if I was interested in anything like the arts, it wasn't going to be 
something necessarily for me as I was going to have to, you know, to be able to look after myself in the longer term. And I guess I knew I was bright enough to, to you know, be able to give it a go to get into university. So it was very, very young. When, when you decided, um, I suppose at that age, you, you were pretty firm at that point. You stuck with it and didn't, didn't waver. I, I was firm on it. And I think as well, my eldest sister is also a doctor and she was the first doctor in the family. So I'm not from a family of, of doctors. She was the first um, and she was doing medicine. So I think... For me, then it created the precedent that actually people in our family could become doctors. And uh, so I did apply. So I worked towards the sciences in secondary school. And then, um, you know, when it came time to apply for the CAO, put down medicine first. And luckily, you know, got enough points to be able to get in and do it because I know it's really competitive now currently in Ireland. And it was competitive then too uh, as well. So it was it was really great to be able to, to get the points to get in to do it. And when you started in UCD, did you, were you surprised uh, how, how many of the, the uh, classmates that you met had no background in medicine in their family? Did you expect that they would? I guess I hadn't really gone in with any predetermined idea as to who people were or where they were from. I mean, I think it, it was really varied. Some were from medical families, but a lot weren't. And a lot were like me. They were from families where... You know, my mother worked really hard to ensure we got a good education to be able to then avail of university. And there were many families in similar positions as well doing the same. And so it was really nice to meet a different group of people from outside Dublin as well, because, you know, when you're Dublin based, you are very Dublin focused. Even though I was born in Clare and lived, spent the first six years of my life in Clare, but I hadn't gone in just expecting only to meet uh, sons or daughters of, of doctors. Yeah, so you must have been pleasantly surprised that you were right. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And uh, still am in touch with, with lots of people from university. Then in, in your early years, the preclinical times, do you, what are your memories of, of that period? I was very young going to university. I was 16. But actually, I guess for me, I felt that was an advantage. I was the youngest of five children. I was absolutely ready to go out into the big bad world. And preclinical medicine, we had our first year in UCD main campus. So that was great because I got to hang out with school friends who hadn't done medicine, but were doing other, studying other subjects. And that was really great from a from integrating point of view with uh, people from the arts, from history and from law, as well as science. And then we moved um, to uh, where UCD med school used to be. So behind uh, the national concert hall uh, where we had the joy of ivy gardens they're absolutely incredible and they really felt like our own secret gardens where you could go and spend time um, outside and study had the beautiful library behind the national concert hall absolutely incredible with its beautiful georgian um, glass domed ceiling just a really atmospheric brilliant place to to study and paddy the librarian who was just the absolute best would always find you the books that you needed and was just absolutely lovely to see on a daily basis in the library. And it was really nice being in the centre of the city where you could, um, you know, you had Stevens Green. It was easy access from where I lived, uh, which was out in the suburbs, um, but also great for social life as well. And very near to, of course, Hartigans, which is the essential to um, all med students. Uh, I think it's a, it's a rule. At least it was. Um, I can't speak for now. I suppose we're a bit far away from it at the moment. No, I know. And I have actually been out to UCD to visit the new medical school out there. And the, the facilities look absolutely incredible. I mean, they really do look amazing. 
But I still feel very lucky to have availed of the university we had at the time because it did feel like a very special time, actually. And when you were there, obviously, there was a concentration of subjects every year. Were there any, was there any particular year you enjoyed the most or any subject you, you liked better in the early years? So in the early years, I really enjoyed pharmacology because I had, um, I had photographic memories. So it was quite easy to be able to remember drug names and um, I loved pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics and actually bizarrely it's really relevant to what I do now. Um, I do remember not loving MCQs I have to say the negative marking MCQs which we first encountered in medicine. Are, are you are you risk averse is that why you didn't like them? No I was absolutely going for it so I got the fabulous result of 29% in my first physiology MCQ. <laughs> <laughs> because I absolutely went for hammer and tongs. And uh, yeah, that didn't work. So I did learn how to do them a bit more carefully after that. Well, of course, they've abolished the, the, the negative marking since it was, it was very unfair. I, 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 think, I think the standard now would be, it goes down very badly to do negative marking. Yeah, it's, I mean, sometimes the answers were so similar, actually, you know, and I think even with the, the membership, um, and we do in HIV, we do a diploma in HIV medicine where there's the best of five, where actually there are a number of answers that could be really similar. There is one that is better, but you don't get negatively marked. You just get positively marked if you get the best one right, rather than just losing marks when actually you've done really well in other parts of the paper. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the way they're done now. And I think it's it's clearly fairer and better. You're actually testing people's knowledge as opposed to their uh, Gut instincts. Yes. Yeah. Or their ability to do MCQs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in, in those, those years, I mean, I, I don't know who taught you pharmacology or were there any of the preclinical teachers that stood out for you as uh, role models or people you, you, you were interested in? So I remember um, Professor Beery in biochemistry because we were all terrified of her. Um, but actually she was, I think she was a brilliant teacher um, and we learned a lot from her. When I, when I look back on those years in particularly first um, med, when we were doing biochemistry, as a woman, I think she was a great role model as well, because she, you know, she would obviously have had to work an awful lot harder than a woman in my position now to get where she was and to do what she was doing um, in those earlier years. So I think for me, I do remember her with fondness. It's still a degree of terror, but fondness and also a real appreciation for her skill at teaching us because I thought she was really good. I've heard that before and uh, I remember teaching us as well. But uh, she was probably relatively alone in being a female professor at that time in in UCD. There was. I've been trying to remember her name and I can't. A microbiology professor as well who used to teach us. And I've, tr- I've tried to look her up and I haven't been able to find her because otherwise I would have liked to speak about her as well. And again, for the same reason, in that she was fierce, but also firm and taught as well. And for me, again, a role model, because I do think as a woman in medicine, sometimes you do have to be slightly on the strong side to be able to kind of make your way. Um, and I think to see that so early on in my career, looking back now, I can appreciate them. I probably didn't appreciate how hard they'd worked at the time. But looking back, I can definitely see that and and appreciate appreciate them more. It's very interesting. So um, obviously, after your time in the terrace, uh, you then moved on to a variety of clinical sites. Where did you do your core rotations? You remember? So I was based in Vincent's and the Matter Hospital for Medicine and Surgery, 
And then for obstetrics, I was at the Coombe and Hollis Street. And uh, for paediatrics, the old Harcourt Street, which is now, I think, part of Tala. That's interesting that, uh, I mean, normally the students now go to the Matter or Vincent's for, the, for many of the core subjects. It must have been a period where they did, but you went to both. Yeah, so certainly we did a lot of training in Vincent's and that's where I was based and that's where I did my internship. But we also had uh, a stint where we lived in. So we had uh, rooms in the Matter Hospital and we lived in Monday to Friday uh, to be able to uh, do some additional learning there. So again, medicine and surgery, we rotated around. And I think it was to give us a flavour of a different hospital, a different approach. Um, and actually, it was really beneficial because also we got to mix with the Matter students as well. So we weren't kind of as, as cut in half as we might have been if we'd purely only been Vincent's or the Matter. Um, so it was really, you know, it was really valuable. And I think as well being, you know, resident there as well, you know, it's a different side of medicine that you would see. You'd stay much later into the evening. You'd see how patients were doing in the evening. And you really kind of felt part of, of uh, the matter, even though you were only there for a short time. Interesting. So um, dur- during those clinical rotations, was there any clinical teacher that uh, inspired you during the time? Anyone you particularly remember? So I remember Enda McDermott was a surgical tutor for us. He worked at Prof- Professor Nile O'Higgins and Enda was just fantastic. I mean, he was absolutely meticulous in what he did, in how he taught us. He was really fair, didn't raise his voice, but you knew when you had not maybe performed the way that he would have wanted you to perform. He was just really, really good. Uh, and I think as, again, as a junior, he's someone who you would look at and think, that's the way I would like to be. As a consultant, I would like to be able to be fair, be patient, but also to teach as well as he can. And he, he certainly made a very major contribution in Vincent's and in UCD for a long time. He's certainly sorely, sorely missed. I was very sad to hear of his death because he was really brilliant and very quietly brilliant. He didn't, he just got on with it. Um, he didn't kind of make a song and dance of who he was or his kind of place in the hierarchy. He was just, yeah, he was quietly brilliant. That was, that was great to hear. So then uh, you, you were, we were talking earlier, you were mentioning you did your internship uh, after that and, and some years as a house officer in Dublin. Where, where, were, you, where were you interning? So I interned in Vincent's for the full year. So I was really interested in uh, liver, um, liver disease and hepatology. So I did six months on the um, liver transplant unit, which was very, very lucky. So that was with um, Professor O'Donoghue and Professor Hegarty. And then I did three months of hepatobiliary surgery and then three months of vascular surgery. Um, and again, really fantastic teams, uh, both consultants and also the junior teams that I worked with, the registrars and SHOs. So did you, you think you were headed for hepatology at that point? I absolutely was headed for hepatology. And when I moved to the UK, I was building up a CV to try and uh, become a hepatologist ultimately. And it was when I was constructing that rotation. Um, so I had done oncology at Barts. I did renal medicine at St. Mary's, which is now Imperial. I did cardiology at Guy's. And then I was in a general medical rotation at King's and I was on the HIV ward. And having done a lot of general medicine, suddenly I was working with patients who were incredibly interesting with really complex opportunistic infections and usually more than one very young people with you know, diseases like histoplasmosis, 
mycoplasma, um, mycobacterium avium, cryptococcus, just stuff we had not really seen before in medicine. Or certainly I hadn't in Ireland where I had worked. We had, I, had not, I had worked with one patient with HIV and that's really memorable for me when he came in. But it was also the holistic side that I really enjoyed. The nurses knew the patients. The prognosis was not very good at that time. It was before good treatment came in. And so HIV was still a terminal illness. We were treating the opportunistic infections as best we could. But I really loved the holistic approach. And that's when I changed from wanting to do hepatology to uh, working in HIV. And was it, was it from that uh, hands-on experience? Or was there a mentor or somebody who approached you or turned you on to the idea? So I worked with two really excellent consultants at that point. So I worked with Chris Taylor, who was on the ward, really excellent HIV clinician. And then also Anton Posniak, who uh, was an incredible researcher in HIV. And um, between the two of them, I just found I could learn so much. They also um, had a lot of faith and trust in me and offered me a clinical fellow post, which also gave me the opportunity to get my membership exam, which I was trying to get. And uh, yeah, fighting with those MCQs again. And it was it was the combination of the clinical, the academic, and then the holistic approach from the nursing team. And that really fantastic multidisciplinary approach that I really liked. And, I, and that's where um, it came from. It was working with those two consultants and the whole team and the patients, of course, who were amazing. And obviously at that time, you, you clearly were very patient and clinically oriented. Were you already thinking about an academic career at that stage or did that come later? I was always interested. Um, I mean, when I was um, in when I was a medical student, I did do one of the, the projects during the summer um, where uh, you then kind of, you know, wrote it up and, and um, uh, presented it at a, you know, an event to be judged on, on, on your ability to do research, to collate findings and then to present it. So I had done it in vascular surgery comparing ultrasound measurement uh, and CT measurement of abdominal ultrasounds to see what the comparison was and thinking about cost efficacy, sorry, cost efficiency. And so I guess that had kind of made me think, well, actually, you can do something, look at data, and then actually clinically, you could make a difference. So I'm very much a clinical researcher. And then when I look back, my dissertation was not only on hepatobiliary disease, but it actually was on HIV and hepatobiliary disease. And that was my dissertation for 93. So I'd worked with um, Nid Afdal in Boston, who was a consultant who had worked in Vincent's and um, was a gastroenterologist and hepatologist in the States in Boston City Hospital, who had links with Vincent's. And I did an elective with him for a month, during which time I got exposure to HIV and hepatobiliary disease there as well. And as I said, we had our first ever HIV patient in Vincent's. So the HIV side and the research, I guess, started to come together maybe before I had realised my interest was there. I had experience in research as a medical student in my um, ultrasound project and then in my, my dissertation. And then HIV really came quite nicely into it in that when you do do HIV, there is an awful lot of liver disease of various causes, but you really need to know, um, you know, how to manage people with liver disease in the context of HIV as well. So it really started to tick an awful lot of boxes for me. I'm curious, uh, having spent time in Boston City when you were a student, um, did you ever consider doing your, your, tra- your postgraduate clinical training in the US? Did that ever come up? So this is, this is where we're going to have to go off. I think I, I met my husband in Leeson Street the night I qualified. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we better leave that in. Do you want to leave that in? We're actually still together, so that's okay. 30 years. Well, that, that's a, a good outcome. So, the night, so I met my husband the night I qualified. So that was a multi-choice that worked out for you? That was a multi-choice. That did work out. Yeah, very definitely. So I met him in legs uh, the night I qualified. And he was living and based in London and was kind of more, I guess, settled in his work. He was a partner in a law firm. So I know that Irish doctors often end up going abroad to research in the UK or in the States. And for me, moving to the UK after my internship felt like it was just doing that move a bit earlier. Um, and I guess investing in my relationship would seems to have been a good investment in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and also did okay. I did okay in my career too. So, How do you maintain your work-life balance? I was working full-time until I had my son. And I was 28 when I had him. And so I worked three days initially per week after I went back. And then when I was doing the ward, I decided myself I needed to increase to be able to do the ward properly and also uh, to be able to kind of have that work-life balance. And so I guess for me, I, it's, I've talked to my children about this. I have two children and I have always worked part-time. I've never work, worked full-time. And although I end up doing an awful lot of work in my own time on my days off, I think it has given me the freedom to try and find that balance as much as I can. So my children feel I have been there for them. I've been at sports days, I've been at plays, I've been at all of those events for them. And, but I've also been able to work and ultimately as they got older, do other stuff such as national work that I've really enjoyed doing, maybe in spare time when they're at school or doing homework. So it hasn't always been easy. There have been times when I have felt I'm never in the right place at the right time. But overall, I actually think I've been quite lucky in achieving the work-life balance. I think part of it is the specialty I chose because we don't do general medicine, I'm not doing general medical on call, but I'm still really interested in it. And there's a lot of really acutely unwell inpatients, um, but it's also quite clinic based. And then my research I can do in my own time at home if I need to. And then, so that's the work bit. Family, very important. Love being with my family. We love holidaying. I love uh, sports, so I love cycling. I uh, try and keep fit, as do most people now, and I love reading and movies. And I'm very lucky to live where I live in Brighton because I'm beside the sea, but I also have the downs where I can walk. Um, I could do a flat walk or I can do a really um, big hike if I, if I want to. So, and that, that combination keeps me sane and singing. I sing in a choir. Okay, well, we might ask you to sing at the end. Well, obviously, I was hoping I've got a solo prepared. <laughs> So what, before we get to that, uh, have you got any book or film recommendations while, while, while we're on? So I think probably my favourite film is Les Antouchables, which is a French film um, with Francois Cluzet and Omar Sy. Um, and it's a film about a man who is quadriplegic in a wheelchair and he ends up with a carer who's released from prison, who is just literally trying to get his paper signed that he sought a job. And it is one of the most joyful films you will ever see. Honest to God, I watched it again recently. And just the hope and inspiration in that film is just brilliant. And French humour at its best. It's really fantastic. So that, that's a, you've, you've got a good recommendation for a film there. Uh, what kind of music do you like? You, you, choir is your choice, is it? 
Uh, no, it's, I'm quite mixed, actually. So in my choir, we sing, um, we're quite particular, we sing 15th century music. So it's an early music um, choir. And we went to Santiago de Compostela last year and we sang in the cathedral and we did a concert as well. And um, it's just really wonderful. I've always, I've often been part of a choir. I had a few years when I first moved to Brighton when I wasn't part of a choir anymore, but I had been in London, I had been in Dublin and now I'm again and just love it. It's just really different and, and interesting. But then I'm kind of a bit of a contrast and I'd be renowned for this in, the, in my class. Um, I'm a massive Smiths fan. And so I love the Cure, the Pixies. Uh, so my hair is now not black, but was black for many years. And my <laughs> eyeliner is less out to my ears than it used to be. Um, but yeah, I am an ex-goth or retired goth, uh, but still love all of the, the noisy music that my mother used to hate. <laughs> uh, and obviously with the, with the, the choir, you've done a bit of traveling. Uh, where, where do you travel for holidays? Uh, so it varies. I do city breaks. Uh, so I do love places like Rome, uh, Copenhagen, Lisbon. Um, and then last year we took full advantage of everything opening up again and we headed off to Thailand and went to um, Malaysia as well, including Borneo, which is somewhere I had always wanted to go since I was a child. Um, I'd really wanted to go and see orangutans and we managed to do that last year and that was unbelievable. It really was a trip of a lifetime. It sounds like you already crossed something off your bucket list. Yeah. Yes, I have many other places, but that definitely was somewhere I had. Yeah, I never thought I'd go for some reason. I don't know why, because all you have to do is book the holiday. But there you go. So I did it and it was wonderful. And everyone, the whole family loved it, which was nice. What's top of your list now for if you could go anywhere, where would you go? If I could go anywhere, I would like to go to Iceland to see the Northern Lights. Well, that's that's an easy one. Yeah, that one I can definitely do. I'd really like to go to Japan. And yes, I know I can do it, but it is expensive. And so, and I'd quite like to go for a long time if I'm going to go. So I'd really like to plan it well. So that's probably my next big trip. We're, as we're coming towards the end now of, of our talk, obviously you've achieved a lot in your, in your professional career. Um, you, and I want to congratulate you on being the president of the British HIV Association. I think that's a massive achievement done by election, right? Yes, thank you very much. Yes. So went out to vote for all the British HIV Association members. Which is a, a huge, huge honour and uh, I'm, I'm sure it's going very well. Very busy, I'd imagine. It is quite busy and I'm learning a lot. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, political discussions and um, but I'm also meeting lots of new people, which is really interesting as well. So it's, it's great. Yeah, really enjoyed the first three months. And is this, is this an opportunity to construct a legacy or where are you going to leave the association from your presidency that, compared to where you started? So I've been a trustee since 2015. And I think for me, I specialise in HIV in women. And I really feel that although HIV largely affects men who have sex, men in the, in, in the UK, who have sex with men in the UK, actually women and heterosexual men are often... Um, not heard as much, they don't have as loud a voice and maybe aren't looked after as well. And I think that's really key. I want to draw them into the normal conversation of HIV in the UK. So that's really one of the key things I want to do. And I'm already looking at form, forming a special interest group within the British HIV Association um, to take that on. So I, um, I founded a charity called SWIFT, which was to help women with HIV and reduce research gaps. And what I want to do 
is integrate that into to the British HIV Association, but also then to draw in other key populations, uh, so transgender people and uh, heterosexual men. And then I think being the first chair outside of London, I really want to draw it in to be properly UK and not London centric. And I think that's really important because we have really incredible people working throughout the UK in the context of HIV, working in different ways, providing different solutions in different contexts for people, but who can all share knowledge really well. And I think we can learn a lot from each other. So I really want to make sure we know who's out there. And if people want to work with us, try and draw them in. Well, it sounds like you're, there's going to be quite a legacy there. That, that's a lot of contributions from, from your years with the HIV Association. So uh, as, as we finish up, if you look back at, at yourself as a UCD medical student, could you advise yourself to do anything differently or better in retrospect? Get a hair straightener earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really, really enjoyed my UCD years. I have to say it is one of the happiest times in my life. And that's not to take away from my family and you know what I'm doing now. It just was a really, really special time. I met some fantastic friends. I learned a lot for, from some very talented teachers and educators. And it set me up with a career for life. So actually, yeah, I feel that I would say, yes, enjoy what you're doing because it is as brilliant as you think it is. And, you know, there you will work hard for the rest of your life. So when you're a student, enjoy, learn and make sure you stay in touch with the people you care about, which luckily I have done. That's been a great conversation. I, I've learned a lot. Been a been a real pleasure to speak with you and uh, hope to see you again soon. Thanks very much, Pat. Thanks for your time. Thank you.